What's up, my friends, and welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, I'm talking to Jorge Velez, one of the best artists, best illustrators I've ever met, one of the best illustrators I've ever had the opportunity to work with. And today, we're talking about various topics that relate to art. We get into how comparison destroys creative people, how to make your own luck, best practices for finding and working with artists, how to become an artist, if that's the career path you want to travel down, and a whole lot more. In other news, this episode is sponsored by Crowdfunding Nerds, also known as Next Level Web. This group of crowdfunding specialists has worked on over 100 projects and helped raise nearly $15 million. But the truly amazing part is that most of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They charge flat fees and offer simple monthly pay-as-you-go plans. And the record for funding projects on day one is over 90%. I've personally been working with them for years, and they have been instrumental in helping me raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for my own campaigns. Andrew and his team are honest, hardworking, and reliable, and they have been absolutely phenomenal to work with. So if your game is awesome, but your email list is pitiful, visit crowdfundingnerds.com and fill out a contact form today. And now, please help me welcome Jorge Velez. All right, so Jorge, one of the things I've talked a lot about on the channel is comparison and how comparison can be the thief of joy and how a lot of times we find ourselves overwhelmed and in these deep, dark places, not because of procrastination, not because of lack of motivation or inspiration or all the things that a lot of times we think it is, but really mm -hmm. and truly it's because we're comparing ourselves to other people. We're comparing ourselves to all sorts of societal standards or, or whatever it is. I know this is a topic you're super passionate about. So tell me your thoughts on comparison, how it messes with creative people, what it does to us, and what are yeah. you doing to overcome it? I, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think there's truly a way to overcome it. You're always going to feel it, no matter like what place you are in terms of success or career. I think the the important thing to to keep in mind when this happens, whenever you have that moment of like, am I doing enough? Why can't I be as good as this person or that person? Or why am I not as good? Like when those thoughts come in. It's important to take into account your personal circumstances, uh, your personal career path, your personal goals, and how that is always going to be different from everybody else. Like a, like a bump in the road, something we always trip over is the idea that like, I would say that a very small percentage of people achieve success in a, on, a, on like a grand scale uh, through their own unique circumstances. A lot of that has to do with who they know, how lucky they got, you know, to be frank, and their own, you know, their own personal efforts and uh, uh, their, their own personal trajectory, like the path they took to get there, which is going to be different from you and me. Um, and something I constantly have to remind myself is that like uh, the, the, path to like, I'm going to say success, but the path to success is a winding road. It's not a straight path. Yeah, that's a great point. And to not get caught up in the survivor bias of looking at the people that are at the top and thinking, oh, if I just do it exactly like they did it, then I'll be successful too. Because then a lot of times we ignore the thousands upon thousands of other people who did it kind of the same way, but weren't successful for exactly. one reason or another. Exactly. And everybody is this conglomeration of work, luck, and unfair advantages, mm -hmm. like, and, and it's d different for everybody. But those are three levers that you're, we're all pulling in different ways. And hopefully you get lucky and hopefully you're working really hard and hopefully you, you've got something that sets you apart and it might be relationships. It might be, I mean, if you look at Hollywood, 
a lot of the people that get cool stuff, like get cool roles and stuff like that, their mom, their dad also had cool roles. Like they, it's a family thing. And the same with any endeavor, business, art, whatever. It's just like, who were you born around? You know, think about, I saw this uh, Adam Sandler thing where he got the Mark Twain award for comedy. And he was talking about, yeah, I was really good friends before I got famous. I was friends with Chris Rock and David Spade. And he's like listing all these other people who are phenomenal. It's like, how could you not be successful when you're surrounded by that group? You know, C.S. Lewis had J.R.R. Tolkien as a writing buddy. I mean, so that's a huge unfair advantage. And it's it's just everybody's got them one way or the other. And how can you lean into those things? And so let, let's talk about that for a second. How have you leaned into, like, what are your unfair advantages? What are the things that you were kind of maybe predisposed? You know, maybe you're just naturally an amazing artist or, or maybe you knew somebody or, you know, something. But what are some of those things that you've been able to lean into that kind of help have helped you get to where you are? It's interesting. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to use the term unfair, but I think I know what you mean by that. Like, I, I think I, I get the general sentiment. Like, there is a, a very, very, very circumstantial aspect to that, which it can be outside of our control. And when you compare yourself to others, it looks like it's an unfair advantage. Uh, and sometimes it is like, I I've heard the, I've heard the saying, like your, your success depends on like your zip code. Like where were you born? Basically. I mean, um, being born I, in the United States is a massive advantage to oh, a yeah. lot of other countries, depending on what yeah. you're going to do. Now, if I remember so, right, you were born in Puerto Rico though, right? Yeah. Yeah. More so back then. Um, because like before the internet, uh, I, I, one of the reasons I moved to to the U.S. Uh, from Puerto Rico was because I wanted to find, like, put myself in the line of opportunity or in, like, the way of opportunity. Uh, and I'll be honest, it worked out for me. It did. Uh, I think um, at, at least now that we have, we're very connected, we're so connected now, especially, like, post-COVID. Um, well, I'm not going to say post-COVID, but, like, especially because of... Uh, lockdown and and working at home becoming like more of a regular thing now uh you have that advantage but at the very least it's still like where you're from plays such a big role uh in your career path and ultimately your success um so something something i had to do to like work with that disadvantage is travel like i had to travel a lot uh even after I moved here to the U.S., I had to travel a lot to like meet the right people and and get in the way of like uh, or, or get in the way of visibility. Um, become a, like <laughs> uh, to be frank, just remind people that I exist. Uh, like constantly, like shake hands and and do it every year, which is an exhausting thing. And I know not everybody can do. I would say that's the advantage I had was that like through people I met, I want to say like 10, 15 years ago, I had established connections. Like people I didn't even know were going to have businesses in the future. I would just be friends with them. And they would invite me to shows, to events. Um, they'd be like, hey, we, we can pay you for your travel and your hotel, and you can come help us out at our booth. And I, I was like, this is a, th- I have to jump on this opportunity. I'm not going to get something like this again. And the only reason that happened is because I knew them from a forum way back then in like, like a fan forum way back then for, um, I don't know if I can say the name, but earthbound, the, the game, we, we all joined up there 
And these people that I would just like chat about innocuous things like <laughs> video games ended up becoming professionals in the future. And because we were still friends, I was able to have that connection. Uh, I was able to, to have like a career in through that. Um, and then suddenly, like I found myself traveling a lot and meeting more people that way and actually getting jobs like that. And I mean, to this day, I still think about like, that would not have happened if I wasn't in the right place at the right time. And the scary part about that is that sometimes that's out of your control. Like you, I didn't know making friends with these people back in college was going to mean a career opportunity 10 years later. Uh, it's yeah. stuff like that. That's a really good point. And it's kind of a, like I said earlier, it's a mixture. There's some luck that you happen to meet the right person. You happen to be in the right place at the right time, but there's yeah, also yeah. work because you had to put yourself in position Absolutely. to meet somebody to be yeah. lucky. And I, I, I mean, you and I, the reason we're having this conversation is because several years ago, I met you at the Southern Fried Gaming Convention in Atlanta because you had a little booth set up and you were selling your art and your prints. And I, I walked by and I was in the process of, I was about to do uh, a new game that my company was going to publish. And I was looking for an artist, but I had a totally different idea for the art direction until I saw your, your art at your booth. And I was like, oh, wow, that actually is a much better path to go. Than what, I was already, when, than what I was thinking. And I just started chatting with you. Hey, would you be open to this? Is this something you've done in, in the past? And do you have a business card? Do you have a portfolio? And you, you know, gave me all this information. We started emailing back and forth, realized, hey, I think we can work together. And then, you know, history being what it is, like we've worked on a bunch of projects together. You've done phenomenal art for a lot of my, my games and my website and things like that because you were willing to put yourself out there and be at a convention, sit in the chair, try to sell some stuff. But that's not easy. So what would be your encouragement to a creative person, an artist, anyone that re that kind of maybe struggles with just mm -hmm. putting themselves out there, you know, maybe they're shy, introverted, whatever, what would be your encouragement to them? It's, it's difficult because I know a lot of people, especially artists can be introverted. And that does become like a hurdle for, for some like, oh, I'm scared of, of being alone in a different place. Uh, I, I'm not good at talking to strangers. I don't like, uh, this is something I actually hear a, a lot when I try to give this kind of advice, like, hey, get yourself out there, uh, find, you know, find all these events to participate in, even small local ones like Southern Fried, that's a small local show. And yet, I, it was still like full of opportunity. And whenever I tell that to people, they're like, I don't know if I can do it because I'm scared. And like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know how to talk to strangers. And I always say, like, I, I'm afraid you have to be brave. <laughs> there, I don't, I don't know what easy answer there is to that. You do have to, and it, it, you don't have to go it alone. Um, but you do have to be brave. You do have to, uh, find whatever way you can to get out there, uh, and, and make yourself known, uh, whether that is through like, Hey, maybe, if it helps you be with someone while this is happening, do that. Because I know at first for me, that really helped having somebody to essentially be like my wingman. Um, and I would just, I would be quiet and I would have uh, uh, my friend, John, he would just hype me up to other people. I'd be like, John, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just, I'm just introducing you. But then I realized like that was helping me realize like what, what I have to say to other people. So that's one way to do it. Like if you don't, if if you absolutely can't do it alone, it's really scary. 
find someone who's willing to help you. Like, I think they will Uh, find someone who's willing to share a table with you at an event. In addition to that, don't be afraid of asking your peers and your friends for help. Like, that's a big thing also that I'm, I'm 100% going to preach about is your friends and your peers will help you. And all you have to do is ask and you don't have to be afraid of asking because Nobody's going to feel like they're, you're taking advantage of them. Nobody, nobody's going to feel like you're trying to get something out of them. They want to help you because they know we can't do it alone. Like nobody goes it alone. Uh, so that's one way. That's one thing I would say, like, get out there, be brave. But if it's too difficult, find someone who can help. Like, and you will, uh, you know, that's how you build a network is you tap into your peers, your coworkers, your friends, and see who's willing to like, to like believe in you and support you that way. Yeah. I think also starting small makes a lot of sense going to the local convention that, you know, there's not going to be that many people. I was talking to a guy over the weekend who he's been working on some projects and he's trying to get them published, but he's super nervous about reaching out to publishers and putting the word out and, you know, cold emailing or meeting people at conventions and things like that. And so he asked me, he's like, how do you get over that? And I was like, well, it's the same way you get over any fear of anything you do it a little bit at a time and then you build up, you know? So if you're afraid of, if you're afraid of talking to people, well, go talk to someone that you, that you kind of already know. So it's not quite as intimidating. And then see if you can go talk to somebody that you know a little less well, and then a little less well, and then go talk to a stranger. Right. And so just kind of build it up like you would overcoming the fear of heights. You know, if you're afraid of, of heights, you don't go to the empire state building and look down. No, you go to the second floor and then you look down. And you go to the third floor and then you look down and you just kind of work your way up the ladder uh, and then you eventually, hopefully, can overcome it. And so don't get a booth at Comic-Con. Don't get a booth at Gen Con. Build up to that, right? You're absolutely right. Like, don't... I've made this mistake. I've made this mistake. I booked the big shows thinking, like, this is it. This is going to be, like, all the opportunity is going to come my way. I would go there. I didn't know anybody. I didn't hit up anybody beforehand and I would just be at my table the entire time making no connections, talking to nobody that I don't know. And I would end the show with just a little bit of money too. Like it would be a loss, a financial loss because uh, aside from like not selling well, I didn't, I didn't make the, like I didn't build the net. I didn't build the network. I didn't, um, I didn't make the most out of my time. And, you know, one of the things I do, I'm glad you brought that up, because one of the things I do regret is booking the larger shows without having that initial plan of like, who do I know here? Who can I like, like, aside from selling, because that shouldn't be the goal either. Um, you're going to lose money. But uh, like, who, who can I like, what connections can I establish when I go here? Uh, and a, a great way to start, like you said, is smaller shows, because it's less of a cost. Um, and it's, if, especially if it's local, you can just drive there. Uh, I, I promise you, no matter how small the show, somebody important is going to show up. Um, at least one person is going to show up. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's always, it, it's never a bad idea to, to start small and then work your way up. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's switch gears a little bit. There's a debate around art school versus not versus go and get like a, a normal quote unquote degree in marketing or business or something like that. And then, and then do art on the side. And that way you're, you're kind of learning two fields. And, you know, some people say, well, you want to have something to fall back on. And I guess, I guess that's true, but I would, I would say it's good to learn those skills no matter what, 
you know, as a, as a game designer and a publisher, I wish I had taken accounting classes when I was in college. I wish I had done some more business things so that, that would have helped me now. And I know, I know you have a graphic design degree. And so give me your perspective. Let's say you've got an 18 year old person. They're thinking, okay, I want to be an artist. I want to get into the art world in, in some way. What would you tell them as far as higher education or not? That's a, that's a very difficult question for me because I think the, the one thing that always gives me pause when telling somebody if they should do like education, like college education or not is cost. Am I about to put this person in debt? <laughs> mm. um, I always fear, I always fear having that, uh, I guess, weight on me when I, when I give this kind of advice, because I do think there is an advantage to it. One of the most valuable things I learned from a college experience was feedback, like having a community uh, of other artists that have like similar goals and similar experiences to mine and being able to form that uh, bond with them and have that experience of like sharing art with others. Uh, and then in classes, having the experience of receiving feedback from people and learning how to take it, like learning how to be open to feedback, uh, learning how to respond to like good criticism and bad criticism and telling them apart. Those are things that are, I feel the most important to learn in an ed education and an educational environment. Um, whereas I, I, I also think that we, we live in an age now where you can make it without a college degree. Uh, we have the internet, which is like, a pool of unlimited resources in terms of education. If, as long as you know what direction you want to go, you will find what you need to learn from the from like your desk where you're sitting. Uh, and that to me is incredible. Like I can actually tell somebody, hey, if you can't afford college, there are still options for you. Uh, I know people who didn't don't have a college education, and they they are well known. They're respected artists. Uh, I don't you know, I, that's not the path I would personally choose for myself, but I think it's great that that option exists because not everybody can go to college. Not everybody can like uh, drop hundreds of thousands of dollars on an education um, and put themselves in like debt for a long, long time. Uh, so it it's very hard for me to pick a side here. I think ultimately if we had better resources for engaging with other people out, uh, outside of uh, a college experience or a college education, I would recommend like, hey, figure out what you want to do first and then pay for the education. Then pay because uh, it's just a different different kinds of benefits that come from each one of them. Would you advise someone who wants to be an artist that they maybe get a, a normal, a quote unquote normal degree, a regular degree, a degree in business or accounting or marketing, something that you could then use in your creativity, but then do all the art stuff on the side through, you know, YouTube or online courses or something like that? I would 100% recommend that. Yeah, uh, I think something that I find that uh, with young artists that they do not know is that if you want to have a career as an artist, you need to learn how to do business. You need to learn how to, like, you need to learn the boring parts of it. A lot of a lot of artists, especially like people coming out of college or just like trying to trying to build a career as an artist, I, I'm not gonna say they make a mistake, but rather uh, th there's this misguided uh, belief that as long as you're a good artist, you're gonna get hired. 
And that's only true for like a very few amount, like very few people, <laughs> people who are like just that good that no matter what they make, people are going to be like, I need you to work on this for the rest of us. You need to learn, like you do need to learn how to market yourself, how to put yourself in front of others, how to like do your own finances, how to, uh, how to manage your own social media, how to like, you, you need to learn a, 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 like a roster of other talents just to maintain your, especially if you're thinking about being independent, uh, an independent worker, like your own boss, there's a lot of things that they don't teach you in school for that. Uh, and that's, that's one criticism I have of uh, a college education is that they're, they kind of like, okay, you're a good artist now, like bye, go. And like, depending on where you go, you won't even have any marketing skills, any like financial skills, any like, you're not good with money. You're not good with scheduling. You're not good with your time. And then suddenly, like, you're a great artist. You're an excellent and talented person. But nobody knows who you are because you don't know where to go. You don't know how to start. You don't know, like, it, it, you don't have anybody who, like, already has, like, a leg up and they can help you out with that, too. Um, and then you're stuck there wondering, like, well, why, what am I doing wrong? Like, I, I don't know. I'm good. I, I have what it takes. And I know I can work hard but nobody wants to hire me. And it's like, well, nobody knows who you are. And, and that's not a bad thing. It's just that like, it happens to a lot of people. It, it, it's just that nobody taught you how to get out there, uh, which, you know, I think should be a, a thing taught in art school. Like it, it, it just makes it more difficult for people starting out. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I've hired lots of artists over the years, lots of different people for different projects. Not a single time have I ever asked, Hey, where did you go to school? Do you have a degree? I've never once asked that. What I've asked is, can you show me your portfolio? And then I, I've, I haven't asked this specifically, but I've gotten a feeling for how someone communicates. Are they emailing me back you know, pretty quickly or does it take two weeks to hear a response? It's like, okay, I don't know if I want to work with this person. If they can't even email me back a simple thing, work I don't know ethic. if I want to put, yeah, I don't know if I want to put a two year project into the works with this person because who knows what that's actually going to turn into. And so yeah. there's so many things that I'm thinking through as someone who hires artists and schooling can help with that, but it's, it's definitely, there's some other skills going on that someone needs to, to figure out. And let's, let's keep talking about like the freelance independent versus working at a company and having a, a regular paycheck. Cause you've done both. You worked for Archer and you were doing, you know, things for the, the cartoon Archer. And then you work with fan gamer and do some really cool licensed IP stuff for them. But you also do the independent thing. You work as a freelancer. So tell me kind of the, Tell me about both sides and pros and cons of each way. Right away, I can tell you working with a company, working like being an employer, uh, no, sorry, being an em employee gives you health benefits. <laughs> uh, th like the security of having like a stable income and stable uh, health plan and those are the things that are the most appealing when it comes to working with a corporation. There's also like the, th there is more of a structure to it as well. Uh, when you're, when you're working with a team of people, you tend to, you tend to kind of figure out, okay, well, this is, this is my specialty. Uh, this is what I'm good at. And this is what I'm going to contribute to the team. And it does grant like a degree of stability in terms of like, uh, your workload. When it comes to working freelance, it's a whole different kind of thing. I think I would say that uh, personally, I found freelance work the most fulfilling as an artist because uh, 
that was that was definitely a, a more of a case by case basis. But every every client that would approach me wanted me to work for them because of my art, uh, and that was really that's a really good feeling. Like it, it's it's like wow, you you need me to do this for you. It's not just I'm creating a product for you. It's like like this is hey, we want you on this project because of how you draw. Um, and I'm, I'm going to admit that that is the, the nicest thing about working freelance is that you do have more, uh, it, it does give you more agency over the kind of work you do. And in turn, it makes it more fulfilling. Now, the disadvantage of, of working freelance is that it lacks structure. Uh, you Because you're your own boss, you tend to go easy on yourself too. Or you can be extremely hard on yourself, like either or, and the, which is something I like. I was experiencing both ends of that. Like I, I am both my harshest boss and my like chill, like let's just hang out boss. <laughs> and it's you do need. It does require you to have like more discipline because no one's there to like pressure you. Aside from clients, no one's there to like pressure you or not pressure you. At the end of the day, do you clock out? I didn't. I was like, well, my work's not done. I got to keep going. So there were days where I would just have like the entire day of work. And then there were days where like, well, today I kind of just want to go out <laughs> and I would. Um, so it, it, if you want me to boil it down to like the like, like a very brief summary, um, working professionally with like a, a company or, a, or an employer grants you stability in, in a lot of ways in your career, in your work-life balance, and in, you know, the, the, you know, the benefits that come from that uh, corporate structure. But then freelance, you know, you, you have more fulfilling work, you have a more flexible schedule, you are, you have way more agency over your work. But then a lot of that comes at the cost of a stability, like stability and structure. That's really what boils, boils down to for me. Gotcha. Now I know you've worked on quite a few licenses. What's been your favorite, but then also what, what has been the interesting stipulations or different restrictions that you you've kind of had to figure out because these big companies, you know, they're, they're very adamant about certain things being done a certain way. Tell me about that whole process. I'll, (laughs) I'll be as delicate as I can with this subject. It is interesting when, when you work for the companies that you admire and that you that you've always had like a like a love for you tend to realize or what what does happen is that uh you do you end up having to like detach those emotions a little bit because at the end of the day no matter how loyal you are no matter how like no matter how much this uh this team has influenced you as an artist or as a professional you are creating a product at the end of the day. So you do have to be 100% utmost in your most professional behavior and set aside your personal feelings. Um, that's been the thing, the, the most, I guess, eye-opening thing to me with uh, working with IPs and working with other companies. If you want me to say, like, who's my favorite to work with? Honestly, like, independent developers are always the best to work with. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to go into specifics, but with like that corporate and independent, like dichotomy, uh, if that's the correct word, uh, there's this, 
you you have like a like a different set of dynamics at play. Um, the smaller the company, the more direct line of communication you have to the people in charge, and they're always happy to work with you because they're like, I can't believe you're making a product for our stuff. Like this is great. <laughs> um, whereas with a with a more established IP or company, you're you're talking to a contact, uh, and they basically they can either be the best to work with or the worst to work with. Uh, it just depends on the kind of, uh, on the degrees of protection with their brand that they're willing to enforce. It's both eye-opening, like I guess enlightening, and, and it's a it's a very valuable experience for me. But at the same time, it does make me realize like how there there is a compromise to art when it comes to working, when, when, when art is your career and your profession. Um, which again is another difference between working corporate and working freelance. Um, a lot of the integrity goes into, is kind of put on the chopping block. Uh, I'm not saying that you should not act without, uh, that you should act without integrity. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be true to your values because I think that comes with being a uh, part of, uh, acting like a professional and, and having like a healthy worth it, work ethic is that you are also true to yourself. Um, but you do have to, like I said, at the end of the day, you have to realize you're, you're just working for somebody. You, you're just making a product and you're just making a product the client likes. This applies to freelance too. This applies to working with independent developers. And really it just, it's just a matter of like, how <laughs> it's just a matter of like how much they uh how much they want you to to be a part of that i guess um at this, at this point i'm kind of rambling so i apologize but like no i understand what you're saying because i mean especially with these bigger companies that have established brands and have a certain expectation from fans you know as an artist i feel like a lot of times you want to come in with your interpretation your idea about like your version of a character and that's really really cool for your own website, but not necessarily cool for the product that this big company is trying to put out into the world to show up at Target or Walmart or on a store shelf. And so, yeah, I totally understand that. And sometimes the box you have to live in is just the box you have to live in. And there's nothing you can do about it. There's no email address. You can send a, a message like no one cares. Either you do it this way or they're going to go find someone who will. And that's just that's just part of it. Is that kind of what you're trying to get to? Yeah. So I guess that there is that is what I'm trying to get to. There is like a there is that, uh, it's just a spectrum uh, within that description. Like how, how important is the brand to a company and how important is the artist interpretation? I guess that's the, that's the two ends, like two extremes. Uh, and either way, you just have to, you just have to focus on like what you're willing to produce as a, as an artist. And if that falls in line with what you love doing that's great that's great it happens sometimes but then the opposite also happens like in at the end of the day you're just you're just asking how high should i jump <laughs> right so when I, when I was asking earlier it wasn't necessarily which company have you enjoyed working working for oh. which character which license which which you know famous you know popular tv show or movie or video game which one of those like really has excited you to work on in the past what, during my time working with animation, there's a lot of things I worked on that I wish I could talk about. The world of animation is really weird, man. Like, things can be NDA forever, and even after you stop working for them, and it sucks. Um, but I will say, like, the things I can talk about, 
uh, one of the things that was really exciting to work for was um, uh, Gemuseto 2 on Adult Swim. I was the character designer for like the main characters for that show. That was really cool. I like they actually approached me like, "Hey, we like your style, and we heard for, uh, about you from uh, you know a former coworker of yours." And I'm like, "This is crazy! Like, my art is going to be in a TV show." <laughs> um that that's one of them and then uh during my time with fangamer i i worked on merchandise for breath of fire 2 which was a game i played at as a kid one of my favorite games to play as a kid and that i still to this day think is like one of the highlights of my career because when the shirt went into production later on the the producer and director of the game from back then took a photo with the shirt on that i designed and that was mind blowing to me. I was like, never in my life would I have known that I would like directly impact these people somehow. Like, uh, imagine me way back then as a kid playing this game and being like, oh wow, one day like the creators of this game are gonna know I exist. <laughs> you know, a little kid in Puerto Rico. That's just wild to me. Um, definitely like a highlight of my career. Yeah, that's awesome, man. All right, let's let's kind of keep traveling down this road. Let's talk about the relationship of a publisher or someone who's reaching out to an artist that they want to work with that artist. They want to work with you. Give me some best practices. What are some, some best practices as far as like how to approach, how to negotiate, how to ask for revisions, any of that kind of information you can, you can share. I think the best way these days to hit up an artist is like cold calling them, like DM them on Twitter, at them on Twitter. If they have a Twitter message on Facebook, uh, if they have an email, email them. It's, yeah, like, honestly, every artist is just waiting for that to happen, basically. Uh, so it's, it's it can be as informal as, as, as it needs to be, I guess. How much should I have ready to go as far as, like, what I need? Because, you know, it's, it's one thing to reach out to an artist and say, hey, are you open to commission? Are you available? And if they say yes, okay, now what? What do I come back to them? Do I just oh, give okay. the full five pages of ideas or like tell me what's <laughs> what's the best practice there no i think the the best thing to do is give them the pitch like hey so currently we're working on this uh we we're currently looking for this kind of role uh we were wondering what your experience is with this here are some examples of what we're looking for and finally like what is your time frame looking like uh and could we get a like a quote or a rate based on this information. And then once the artist responds with that information, then you take a minute to like review their work. You, you get back to them like, Hey, like, thanks for, thanks for uh, responding to us. We're going to review this, uh, the, you know, we're going to take this into consideration and then like, we'll hit you up with our final decision. That's a little bit formal. It can be less formal than that. You can be like, Hey, thanks for reaching out. We're excited to work with you. Uh, we'll hit we'll reach back when um when we have like the timeline sorted out and all these things i think the more the more you can uh express like what you're expecting out of this artist like in terms of time frame uh workload uh quality of work uh something i love is when um clients tell me hey we don't need this to look great we just need it done fast because that puts in my head like an expectation okay this can be something uh, that'll take less time uh, so I can fit it into this part of my schedule. And 
like I know they have like a expectation of quality of work that doesn't necessarily have to be perfect, which is great because it means like, okay, they're relaxed. They can, you know, as long as it's functional, as long as it's done, it doesn't have to be perfect. Um, and then always ask about quotes right away because it, it gives artists the, the, like it let artists know that you have a budget <laughs> uh, and that you're not just like going around shopping for like the cheapest option, which does happen. Something I don't like is when I am reached out for work and nobody they, nobody gives me an idea of like if they know my rates or if they want to know my rates. And then when I when I ask them like that, that's when the budget question comes up. Like if you want to avoid the like, what's your budget question? Ask for rates and quotes right away for like time and work needed. Uh, when the opposite of that happens and I give people my quote, I'm already expecting them to ghost me because they're, they're, they're just shopping around for the cheapest option, basically, uh, to be frank. Yeah, that's a really good point. When it comes to timelines, I've worked with some artists that they wanted to get paid half up front, half at the end. Some have set up in thirds. Some have set up timelines of, okay, I'm going to deliver like the very rough sketch and then I'll do the ink and then we'll do the actual color and then we'll do the finalization. Like they wanted every step along the way to be approved and all that. And so I know every artist is a little bit different, but in your, in your perspective, from your experience, what are your thoughts on setting up milestones and timelines and that kind of thing as far as the work being completed and work being paid for? I always ask for payment after uh, the files are sent, like the final files, when the work is uh, done, basically. I, I tend to work better when I know I'm going to get paid. Like, it, it has to, like, that That does motivate me. Like, if I don't do this, I won't get paid. If I do this, I'll get paid. Like, that. that's basically what it boils down to. It's different for a lot of people. I, now, I will say, the smart way to go about that is to have things in writing, like have a contract. If you're the kind of person that takes payment after the work is done, have a contract, have like a record of what you are expected to do and how much money you're expected to get paid. Because in the event that people don't pay for something, then you're like, hey, you promised, here's proof of it. And I'm not going to say you threaten legal action, but you're like, hey, you know what a contract is, right? It's an agreement. If you fail that agreement, something's going to happen. So uh, that's one way to do it. And then other people prefer just payment in advance, which is like the less hassle kind of way to do it. But the reason I don't do that is because I want to hold myself more accountable. If I get paid in advance and then I suddenly start slacking on the work, that looks really bad on me. Like that that is like the, the client is wasting money <laughs> that they already paid. Um, so it, it's a little bit too much pressure for me. So I tend not to do it because of that. Okay. Do you have any, you don't have to mention any names, but do you have any like horror stories of people refusing to pay or ghosting you when you've already done a ton of work or anything like that? I'm thankful that a lot of clients I worked with have been really good about payment. Um, the only time something bad happened was actually my fault. And I'm, I'm, I'm okay to talk about this, but so for one client, I wrote down in my agreement that they can pay whenever their campaign, their crowdfunding campaign ends and it's fulfilled. You can already see where this is going. Uh, so the, you know, the Murphy's Law thing happened. And of course, they didn't even have a campaign. So they didn't make any money. And in writing, 
they don't have to pay me anything <laughs> because my stipulation was if you have a campaign, you will pay. They did not. So um, they were developing this game and they didn't even know themselves how they, they were going to get the money. That's on me. Like I should have asked them about that. And they, they found a publisher, but then that meant like they have somebody who's going to publish the game. They don't need crowdfunding anymore. So I was kind of left there like, huh, I just screwed myself over. Like they don't need to pay me. I don't have to enforce this. But again, thankfully, um, I, I'm not joking, like three to four years down the line, that person got back to me and, and asked me, how much do I owe you? Wow. <laughs> and they paid me. <laughs> So it just took a little while. It took a long time. And at that point, I was like, I'm not going to fight this because it's my fault. So I gave up on it entirely. Years later, they approached me like, hey, so how much do we owe you again? And I'm like, uh, this much? And that same day, they paid. It, it worked out in the end. But yeah, that, that's kind of like a word of warning. Like, you really do want to be careful with how you set your own stipulation. Um, because it, it is meant to protect you, but sometimes you self-sabotage like if you're not thinking of like a possible outcomes yeah that's a good point i guess there's also some benefit to talking to other artists that have already traveled down that road you know if you've never worked with a a company that's going to do a crowdfunding campaign you probably want to reach out to artists who have and say hey how did you structure your contract what what did you put in there what are some horror stories that you have and then take that information and then you know do a little bit better so maybe you're not having the same experience everybody does it different. So it is worth reaching out and seeing like what works for you. Like what works for me does not work for everybody. Um, again, it's go, it goes back to like the, the winding path of your career. Like it's different for everybody. So it, it is in your interest in your best interest to communicate with as many other of your peers and your uh, coworkers and artists that are willing to reach out to you and express this and, you know, kind of go through and, and, uh, help you out with that. Like I I've met artists that have insane contracts. Like the way they get paid is, is brilliant. And I, I don't know how to even express it now, but like things like royalties, I like, I, how do you even negotiate that? That's something I don't know how to do because it's like, well, I, and the thing is because I mostly like working with smaller clients and I try not to do the whole royalty thing when it comes to like independent workers. Cause like, like, I don't know if they're going to be big, like, it, <laughs> and, and I don't know if they, like, I don't know if I want to, like, treat them that way, because it kind of puts them in a, in, a, in a weird place where it's like, you know, if, if my project does not succeed, I am still going to have to pay you for this. And I know that's not like, like, don't take that as advice. That's just how I personally work. But I know that some, um, some uh, other artists like to do, uh, instead of having, like, instead of having like a large sum, they'll do like a smaller sum, but then they'll have like uh, a royalty fee or a, a, I forget what it's called. It's um, it's like a percentage paid for like every time you use the artwork. Um, now, again, this isn't for everybody. And to be honest, like the people who can get away with this are people with like a huge reputation, like big artists can do this because like, it, it's just a way to like make sure that the people they're working with are utmost professionals. Um, because after a while, you do want to like uh, curate who you work with. You do want to like work with people who have your similar interests in mind. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, let's switch gears just a little bit. Let's talk about getting things done. As an artist, a lot of times it, it just takes time to get 
a piece finished to get illustrations completed. So give me some of your best like productivity tips on, on what you do as far as you know your scheduling and all that as far as how do you get things across the finish line? The first thing I do is, uh, you know, communicate with your client what their expectations are, uh, have like a very clear uh, outline of what the work needed is. I tend to work best with people who have like, who get overly specific. Um, that's just me personally. But I think that really helps me picture, okay, uh, this is how long it's going to take. This is the kind of thing that that I need to like set this much time for uh, in this schedule. And it, it, it helps me structure things like, okay, well, then I can like during today, I can spend this many hours on this uh, or that many. Then another thing I like doing that really helps me with productivity is at the beginning of the day, write down the things you're going to work on that day. Um, you can go as far as like the whole week, but I, t- I try to I try to do it in the morning. Like before I start, what is what are the tasks for today? And having that outline really helps me focus and be like, okay, this is what needs to get done today. And if that gets done today, then I had a good work day. Um, if that doesn't get done today, we'll figure it out. <laughs> um no, no, no. Uh, that to me is the biggest one. I think the other thing too is, uh, in all honesty, have a day where it's like, once you clock out, that's sacred. You don't work. You don't do anything. To me, that's Friday nights. Like Friday nights are, once I punch out, there is no work on Friday night. Um, it's it's just something to look forward to. It doesn't have to be like specifically what I'm saying. What I mean by that is like. You want to have something that, uh, like, breaks are part of the stu- of the structure. Overworking yourself, like, sure, you'll get more done, but at the end of the day, your output decreases, your the quality of your work decreases. You do not, uh, you you will like something that has happened to me is when I overwork, like my brain doesn't work right, so I miss notes, like I miss things that clients are telling me, hey, fix that, and then I forget because my head is not there. And then I send the work in and they're like, hey, why didn't you fix this? And it's like, oh, crap, you did mention that. I'm sorry. And that makes you look bad. So it's, you know, part of the structure is having like a work-life balance. It's not easy to do, especially when you're working freelance. That was the hardest part. But that's one thing I recommend. Yeah, it's like that old parable. There were two woodcutters that, you know, would go into the woods every day and, and chop logs and bring out the logs and sell them. And one woodcutter would go in and he'd work eight hours straight just chopping as much wood as he possibly could. The other guy would go in for about three hours, chop a wood, and then he would disappear for a while. And then he would come back and then he would chop some more. You know, he'd disappear for like an hour or two and come back. And then, but yet he would chop more wood than the other guy that worked straight through. And so one day they're having a conversation. He's like, hey, I don't understand. Like you disappear, you work less than I do, but yet you bring out more logs every day. Like how, how is this possible? And the guy's like, oh, well, you know, I, I leave, I go get some lunch and I sharpen my ax. I take some time, I take a break, I make sure my ax is as sharp as possible. And then I come back and I work the rest of the day. And so what was happening was that guy that was working straight through, by the time you get midway, you're working with a dull ax. Like you're not going to yeah. be able to be as efficient. You're not going to be able to do as much mm-hmm. as if versus just take a break, take some rest, take a day, recharge, sharpen the blade and then come back because you're going to get more done in the long run. And I remind myself of that all the time. And so kind of like you with your Friday night thing, Friday afternoon is my, my deal where Friday afternoon is structured. It's in the schedule that I can do anything creative. 
I'm not going to focus on projects I have in the works. I'm not going to focus on anything that's necessarily even going to become a product one day. It's just let my brain wander, have some fun, create things that are not good products, create things that are broken or not very good or will never see the light of day. But that lets my brain recharge and I get to create and I get to have fun and I have permission. It's not like I'm stealing from these other projects. I'm not stealing time. Like, no, this is in the schedule. This is on Friday afternoon. It's it's on the calendar. And it's my, my creative life has gotten a lot better since I started doing that. And then I'm able to go back into it, you know, Monday morning. And I'm excited again because I'm recharged. I'm rested. And, and anyway, that's something that's been helping me. Yeah. Permission is the right word. Like give yourself permission to to have a break because that is part of the, that is part of the schedule. That is part of your workload. You do need it. Um, I know, you know, we, we live in the hustle culture era. Uh, I know that we have to work hard and I know that we have to like push ourselves and I've done that. Like, I'm, I'm going to say I'm not guilty of that, but after a while, honestly, that is what taught me to, to be like, to, to work in breaks and work in like that, what you said, that permission to, to have like creative faults to do the things you want to do and then mess that up. Um, the reason like that, what taught me that was overworking when I overwork, my work is not good. I, my communication is not good. There were days where I was awake for so long that when I was writing an email, it was not making sense. And it those that's when you're like, okay, <laughs> this is actually affecting like the productivity is actually messing with my work. Uh, so you have to be careful of that. Yeah, you, you do have to give yourself the the allowed time to recharge, um, you know, do your own personal thing, uh, like find the expression that exhausts that and then go back into like the hustle, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jorge, this has been great. Do you have any pro- projects you want to shout out or, or, you know, tell people where they can find you online? People can find me online. Uh, I am J Man Velez on everything, pretty much. I am currently. I'm trying to get back into streaming. That's the one thing I want to shout out. I'm trying to get back into streaming. I love drawing art online, like talking to people and having like that, like that that time to just make whatever. Awesome. Well, Jorge, really appreciate you being here. Thank you, Gabe.